The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. John Woodcock. One, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Private Daniel Pryor from the 2nd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, who died on Friday at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, having been wounded in Afghanistan on Wednesday. Tragically, Private Pryor had just become a father, and our deepest condolences should be with his family, his friends, especially his wife and his newborn son. We must make sure that he grows up in a country where everyone honours the memory of his father and all our armed forces stand for. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. John Woodcock. I thank the Prime Minister for that answer and associate myself and all on this side of the House with his moving tribute to Private Daniel Pryor. The Prime Minister has taken the right decisions to extend the life of the Nimrods and HMS Cumberland, so our armed forces remain equipped to protect in this conflict. He knows the uncertainty we now face, so will he, in due course, extend that rethink of our defence capabilities more widely? Well, obviously, we'll look very closely at all the lessons we should learn from what we're engaged in diplomatically, politically, in terms of foreign policy and, of course, in terms of military equipment as well. What I would say, though, is the Strategic Defence and Security Review, the whole predication of it was that we should be able to deploy at speed anywhere in the world and have very flexible armed forces with particular emphasis on transport and on things like special forces. So we think we did anticipate uh, the sorts of things we're doing now, but if there are further lessons to learn, of course we should learn them. Joe Swinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Our hearts go out to the people of Japan as we watch their horror unfold and see warnings today about heightened radiation in Tokyo's water supply. It's not just earthquakes and tsunami that can threaten the cooling systems of nuclear reactors. So does the Prime Minister agree that what has happened at Fukushima will have consequences for the new nuclear power stations proposed for the UK? Well, first of all, I'm sure the whole House will want to join the Honourable Lady in um, sending our condolences to people in Japan, but also our admiration for their incredible bravery and resilience in dealing with this immense uh, crisis. Of course, we must learn any lessons there need to be learned about nuclear power. That's why the head of the Nuclear Safety Inspectorate is looking at this issue. Of course, as I've said before, the power stations we have in Britain are a different type to those in Japan. We're not planning to build any like those. We're not in an earthquake uh, zone uh, or, or, or a zone subject to tsunamis. But of course, you've got to always test against all eventualities, and I'm sure there is further testing that we can do in terms of nuclear power. In terms of Japan, uh, I do think they're doing a, a good job to deal with this problem. The signs in terms of the nuclear station are a little better than they were uh, a few days ago, but they're certainly not out of the danger zone. What we should do is make sure we give the correct advice to all British citizens in Tokyo, and that is what we have done, and that's what we'll continue to do. Mr Ed Miliband. Yeah. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Private Daniel Pryor? He demonstrated outstanding bravery in the line of duty, and our thoughts are with his wife and young son and all his family and friends. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will also want to think of our armed forces personnel now in action in the military operation in Libya and pay tribute to their outstanding work that they are doing. Can the Prime Minister, following the overwhelming vote in the House on Monday, update the House on the progress of our military operation and the actions of British forces? 
Well, I thank the right honourable gentleman for what he said and also for his speech in that debate on Monday, which I thought was extremely powerful. In terms of updating the House in the military operations, a no-fly zone now is in place over Libya. There are 11 nations now contributing over 150 aircraft. I think, as we discussed on Monday, there's been an early and good effect in terms of regime forces having to retreat from Benghazi, but clearly there's great concern about what the regime is doing in Misrata. And any idea that their second ceasefire was any more meaningful than the first ceasefire, we can see, uh, is complete nonsense. So I think we made good progress in the no-fly zone, good progress in terms of turning some of those forces back and protecting civilians, but clearly this is early stages and a lot more remains to be done. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I thank him for that uh, answer and what he said about the debate on Monday. Uh, we support UN Resolution 1973 to protect the people of Libya. Now, the support of the Arab League was a key factor in securing the UN resolution. Can the Prime Minister update the House on the military contribution that Arab states are going to make to the operation and what conversations he's had with Arab leaders about their continued role in the enforcement of the resolution and the plan of action? Well, I can do that. I mean, first of all, the Arab League met again yesterday and again uh, reinforced their view that a no-fly zone is right and that they support UN Security Council Resolution 1973. In terms of concrete assets, I can confirm that yesterday the Gatteries deployed the first of its contribution in terms of Mirage aircraft and also other support aircraft. We will be getting uh, logistic contributions from countries like Kuwait, uh, and also uh, Jordan. I hope further support will be forthcoming. But I would be clear about this. Because we had to act so quickly on Saturday, it wasn't possible to bring forward as much uh, Arab support as perhaps would have been welcomed, I think, by everybody in this House. But the clear support is there from the Secretary-General of the Arab uh, Nations. I also had a meeting with the Saudi Foreign Minister yesterday. And I believe support in the Arab world, not just amongst Arab leaders, but also amongst Arab people, for saving lives in Libya is very strong. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, let me emphasise something that the Prime Minister said on Monday, which is the importance of the contribution of Arab countries to the military operation, but also I think he said there was going to be a regular, more formal process with the Arab League and others, and it's very, very important, it seems to me, that that process uh, does take place. Uh, let me ask him one other uh, thing about our action. C can the Prime Minister clarify the government's position regarding the targeting of Colonel Gaddafi? Because it is very, very important that we stick to the terms of the UN resolution as we, as we seek to maintain the coalition uh, that we have built uh, in relation to the UN resolution. I'm grateful for that question and for the chance to set this out clearly to the House. Uh, all our targets must be selected to be absolutely in line with UN Security Council Re Resolution 1973. That allows us to take all necessary measures to enforce a no-fly zone and put it in place as safely as possible, and also to take action to protect civilian life. All targets should be in line with that, but I don't propose to give a running commentary on targets or, frankly, to say anything beyond that. Mr David Amis. As my right honourable friend struggles to sort out the mess left behind by the last rocket yeah. by, by the last rotten Labour government, yeah. would, would my right honourable friend take this opportunity to unite the House on Health Matters by praising the work of Marie Curie nurses, highlighting the dangers of prostate cancer and supporting low-sort weak. Yeah. Although I, uh, I, I yield to 
I yield to no one in, in uh, blaming the last government for all sorts of ills, but I think um, blaming them for the level of salt in food, I think even I would probably draw the line. Um, draw the, well, I, well, I don't know. I, I expect the last Prime Minister probably did put salt in his porridge, but we'll have to um, leave it there. But my honourable friend raises a very important chari charity, which is Marie Curie Cancer, and the work they do, do to help people, particularly when they are suffering from often incurable situations, should be praised by everyone in this House. And the whole point of what we want to do in terms of our health reforms is to involve, in an even greater way, great charities like that that do so much to help people across our country. Yeah. Mary Glyndon. North Tyneside's Tory elected mayor has spoken now of her intention to become chief executive under new government powers. Does the Prime Minister think that the mayor elected on a political ticket under AV, who has no proven professional experience for such an apolitical role, should go back to the electorate in the true spirit of, of localism and get their opinion on this issue? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank, can I thank the Honourable Lady for reminding everyone that North Tyneside has an excellent Conservative Mayor um, who's, doing a, uh, who's, doing, who's doing a great job, but it frankly will be a matter for her and the people of North Tyneside and the council in North Tyneside to work out what a fantastic job she can do in the future. Gavin Barwell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Croydon Town Centre is just 15 minutes from central London by rail, but rateable values are 60% lower. Does my right honourable friend agree that there is huge potential to save public money by relocating part of the government estate from the most expensive real estate in the country in SW1? Uh, yeah. um, I, I, heard the, um, I heard the suggestion from my honourable friend of a, a new place for IPSA perhaps to be based in, in, um, in, uh, in Croydon. Um, my honourable friend makes a very good point. We've already saved £50 million by relocating government property. My right honourable friend, the Minister for the Civil Service, who sits in the Cabinet and does an excellent job, has saved £2.6 billion in combining quangos and public bodies. And I'm sure there's more we can do, perhaps including Croydon. Ed Miliband. Mr. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister explain why he is proposing to remove the mobility component of disability living allowance from 80,000 care home residents? Well, the, the short answer is we're not. Um, <laughs> Mr Speaker, not for the first time I have to tell him what's in his own legislation. Clause 83 of the Welfare Reform Bill proposes precisely that. And people don't understand why he's doing it. If he's saying he's going to abandon the policy, great, let's abandon the policy. The, the review of disability living allowance and the mobility component is wrapped up into the new personal independence payment. That is what's happening. To be frank with him, this is a point that has been raised from right across the House of Commons. It's a point that we have responded to. It's a review that he can take part in, and perhaps he can say something constructive. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, it's not a review, it's a proposal. It's a clause in his bill. A clause in his bill to take away the mobility component of DLA. 2022 disabled persons organisations up and down the country are saying he should abandon the policy. I've got a suggestion for him, but he's done it before. 
got a suggestion for him. Why doesn't he complete the review now and say he's dumping the policy? The first thing the Honourable Gentleman Gentleman said about disability living allowance was he wanted to support our gateway reforms. You don't hear about that very much anymore. But as I've said, I know, as I've said, the review of DLA is rolled into the personal independence payment. That is how we will reform the mobility component. And instead of getting so excited about it, he should congratulate the government to listening to opinion from across the House. Carl McCartney. Thank you, Speaker. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, may be aware that the Financial Times reported earlier this week that Gaddafi is sitting on $6.5 billion worth of gold in his war chest. Whilst there is precious little to commend the current leader of Libya, gold is, of course, the great inflation hedge throughout our history. Britain, on the other hand, sold off her gold reserves at the behest of the Shadow Chancellor when he worked as a bag carrier at the Treasury in order to bolster the then failing euro. Who of these two is more psychologically flawed? My, an ingenious question by my honourable friend. I have to say, selling the gold was one of the many appalling decisions made by the last government and advised by the two people now responsible for their economic policy uh, in opposition. Chris Evans. Why is poor performance still being rewarded in the banking industry with massive bonuses? What we have done in the banking industry is made sure they are paying a £2.5 million banking levy, not one off, but every single year during this Parliament. So, under this government, the taxes they pay will go up, the bonus levels have gone down, and the lending to small businesses and large businesses is going to increase. He should welcome that approach. Mr. Alan Cairns. Speaker, what conclusions has the Prime Minister drawn from the Secretary General's statement, who, uh, Secretary General of the OECD, who recently said that if you don't deal with the deficit, you could be assured that there will be no growth? Because uh, they assured there be no growth. The Prime Minister is. The OECD was in town last week and gave the clearest possible message. If you don't deal with the deficit, you won't get any growth. That is what they said, and that is what the party opposite. It's about time they started listening to it. Dr Roberta Blackman-Wood. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the Prime Minister is aware that unemployment in my constituency will increase as a result of public sector cuts. Um, Can he tell me what his government is doing to expand private sector job opportunities in the area, such as supply chain jobs from the Attachee Train Building Programme? And will he ask his business secretary to meet with local businesses in Durham County Council about this to boost jobs in Durham and the North East? I'm very happy to arrange that meeting. And what the point the Honourable Lady makes is absolutely right. We've got to make sure, at a time when, frankly, any government would have to be making public sector cuts, we've got to make sure the private sector grows. That's why we've got the Regional Growth Fund that is putting money and leveraging new jobs in the North East. That is why we're going to be introducing uh, things like enterprise zones. And that is why I think if she sits and waits patiently, she'll hear in the Chancellor's budget a whole series of measures to fire up the private sector and make sure we get growth right across our country. Mr Richard Fuller. After fuel duty, council tax is the most despised tax in the country, and under the last Labour government it increased mercilessly year on year. Can the Prime Minister tell me how many councils 
like Bedford Borough Council, have taken advantage of the offer made by the Chancellor in last year's budget and frozen or reduced council tax. Yeah. My honourable friend makes a good point, and it is worthwhile noting that we now know that every single council in the country has agreed to take part in the government's council tax freeze. I would have thought that should be something welcomed from across the House of Commons, because people do face a difficult situation with the cost of living. We've taken action on council tax. We're lifting people out of income tax. We're uprating the pension in line with earnings instead of prices. And I hope the Chancellor will have a few more things to say in a minute or two. Mr Brian Donoghue. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister knows of my passion to the campaign around uh, the No campaign on the AB. And I know he will be working day and night on that subject. However, I have another passion, and that is on the question of legal aid. And I wonder what his government are going to do to protect those who are debarred from legal aid and to potentially get rid of all the abuse that there is within the legal aid system at present. Well, of course, this is a devolved issue for Scotland, but what we have done uh, elsewhere in the United Kingdom is actually maintain the grant that we give centrally to the Citizens Advice Bureau to make sure that work goes ahead. But if he looks at the comparative figures, this country spends way more per head on legal aid than comparator countries, and it's right that it should be reformed. Mr Lawrence Robertson. Is the Prime Minister aware of the very poor rail services which exist between Gloucestershire and London? Uh, because of that problem, the Honourable Member for Cotswold and I have campaigned very long and hard for the line between Swindon and Kemble to be redoubled. Will the Prime Minister give every consideration possible to that project? Um, well, I, I do know the problems there are between London and Gloucester, and also as a Member of Parliament with a seat to the west of London, know the problems on the Cotswold line, which have recently been improved through uh, redoubling. So I hope that he will sit patiently, because I, I very much hope the Chancellor might have something to say about how we're going to uh, make life easier for constituents of his who want to get to and from, from Gloucester to London. Angela Smith. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can the Prime Minister update the House on the representations he has received from the Deputy Prime Minister to reinstate the loan to Sheffield Forgemasters? Yeah. Well, the, the Honourable Lady knows well this was done on the basis of affordability, but she also knows. She also knows that Sheffield Forgemasters have been encouraged to bid under the Regional Growth Fund, and that is an approach they can take. Elizabeth Truss. Given, given the central role that RAF Marham and the Tornado have played in securing a no-fly zone over Libya and the brave actions of our service personnel, despite the ongoing uncertainty at that base, isn't it time that we confirm the future of RAF Marham as a fast jet base? Well, obviously, the Honourable Lady makes an important representation on behalf of a, a vital base in her constituency. It gives me the opportunity to again pay tribute to what our brave pilots are doing, whether flying typhoons in order to police the no-fly zone or flying tornadoes in order to carry out vital operations on the ground in, in Libya. She makes a very strong case, but I know others will also be making a case too. These decisions will be taken in due course by the Ministry of Defence. 
Emma Reynolds. Last week, the Prime Minister told this House that people here are twice as likely to die from a heart attack as people in France. But isn't the truth that survival rates are improving, we'll have a lower death rate than France by next year, and we have record levels of satisfaction in the NHS? When will he stop talking down the NHS and distorting the figures? The NHS has done extraordinary things for me and my family. I am passionate about the NHS. I passionately want it to remain free at the point of use, on the basis of need, and and not related to people's ability to pay. Now, the point of reforming the NHS is to safeguard it for the future. That is what I think. That is what I think everyone in this House wants. I will never talk down the NHS, but if we really believe... If we really believe we can't do better on cancer, on heart disease, on stroke, if we can't, we don't believe we can do better on this, we're fooling ourselves. We must do better, and that's the aim of our reforms. Duncan Hames. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The coalition agreement promises the public greater accountability in NHS commissioning through directly elected individuals on the boards of primary care trusts. Since PCTs are on their way out, would the Prime Minister accept that the best way now to deliver this commitment is to reserve places on GP consortia boards for locally elected people? I think one of the ways we can make the NHS more accountable is through the better combination of the NHS and local government. And that is what our proposals envisage. I think that's the best way to make sure there's good democratic accountability for what happens in our NHS. Mr David Blunkett. Mr Speaker, the Government have not yet factored into their future budget proposals the sell-off of the bank assets we own. Given the PM's commitment to volunteering and the dire uh, straits that many young people face in terms of unemployment, would he consider an endowment fund for a nationwide volunteer programme building on the six-week national citizen service and benefiting both individuals and the nation as a whole? I think the Honourable Right Honourable Gentleman makes an extremely interesting suggestion. Obviously, there is going to be an opportunity uh, to sell the bank assets that we own. I don't think that opportunity is right now, and I don't think we should wait to get National Citizen Service, that he rightly mentions, up and running. I want to see every 16-year-old in our country have the opportunity to take part in something like that, to make them feel more part of our country and recognise the responsibilities we all have as we move towards adulthood. Bill Carmichael. Mr Speaker, with the uh, recent OECD report underlining the fact that structural deficit has caused so many difficulties for our economy, does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is all the more important that we upgrade our industry and business by providing trading opportunities for young people? The Honourable General makes an important point, and that is why we're making quite bold and difficult reforms in education. As we stand today, less than 50% of young people uh, at 16 are getting a, a to C in English and maths, and we've got to make sure that people are properly prepared for the world of work, and frankly that isn't good enough, and that's why I pay tribute to my right honourable friend, the Education Secretary, who's setting a higher bar for himself and for this government, but we've got to make sure we get over it. Dennis McShane, Mr. Speaker. Can I. May I welcome the Prime Minister's U turn yesterday with the announcement that the United Kingdom will now sign or opt into the EU directive on sex slave trafficking, which many have campaigned on for six months. This is a cross party issue. He takes it seriously. Will he ask the Home Secretary on his left to look particularly 
at unaccompanied children arriving at the Eurostar terminal at St Pancras, because there is evidence some of those may be trafficked, we may be able to put some block on this terrible thing with a bit of work there. I'm grateful to the Honourable Gentleman for his question. He's absolutely right. This is an issue of cross-party concern. As he knows, we completely uh, agree with what was uh, proposed for the Human Rights the, the Trafficking Directive. We decided to wait and to check that it was actually going to be in line with what was wanted and didn't have further dangers in terms of our immigration policy. So I'm happy to say we will be uh, opting into that directive with parliamentary permission. But above all, what we've got to do is make sure our arrangements are in place to help traffic children, including in the way that he suggests. Matthew Hancock. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. A recent Public Accounts Committee report found that in the past, hospitals were built under PFI, even though that was more expensive than yeah, other forms yeah. of finance. In some PFI hospitals, it now costs £333 to change a light switch. What is he going to do about it, and whose fault was it? friend makes an important point. Some of the PFI deals that were entered into were extremely expensive and those costs are going to rack up on taxpayers for years to come. And he doesn't have to believe me, we now have it from Labour's own health secretary, who's made a number of helpful interventions in recent weeks. And this, uh, this latest one is in the Morning Star, where he said this, there is... Not a, not a paper I always... Uh, always <laughs> Well, you know, whether he's, whether he's talking to a communist paper or backing Tory plans, he's very consistent. He's always in favour of what the government's doing. He said this, there is definitely a case for saying we were poor at PFI, poor at negotiating PFI contracts right from the outset. I couldn't agree more. Catherine McKinnell. £180 million of land and property assets assembled by One North East are at risk of a fire sale to benefit central government coffers. The Association of North East Councils and the Northern Business Forum have joined forces in a bid to take on these assets for the benefit of our region. Will the Prime Minister back this bid and add his warm words um, and put his warm words on localism into action? Well, I'm grateful to the Honourable Lady. It is an important issue that we make sure as we move from the regional development agencies to the new local enterprise partnerships, many of which are up and running and do a good job, that we make sure we have uh, good consistency and good continuity. And I certainly look at the case that she makes. Stephen Metcalf. Mr Speaker. Will my right honourable friend uh, comment in advance of the budget on the current financial situation in this country? in terms that I can use to convey to my constituents the dreadful state of the economy that we inherited from the party opposite. One way of, of putting the inheritance that we had is that we had a budget deficit that was bigger than Portugal, bigger than Spain, bigger than Greece. And it's only because of the action we've taken in government to actually show how we're going to pay down our debts that we have interest rates in this country at a similar level to Germany. That's what we've been able to do of huge help to our economy and with absolutely no help from the party opposite. Paul Blomfield. Mr Speaker, it was reported at the weekend that the Department of Health has failed to publish research that it commissioned and received last autumn which showed the highest ever level of satisfaction with the NHS. Will the Prime Minister urge the Secretary of State to publish that research without further delay, or, by not doing so, will he confirm that the BMA was right last week when it deplored the Government's use of misleading and inaccurate information to denigrate the NHS and to justify the 
this government has published more information about the National Health Service than local government. And indeed, he's quoting from a published report. But the point I'd make to him, <laughs> the point I would, uh, the point I'd make to him is. If we had the same uh, survival rates for cancer as the European average, we would save 5,000 lives every year. Now, do members opposite want to save those lives? So are you just going to stick with the status quo and say there shouldn't be choice, that patients shouldn't have a say in how they're treated, that doctors shouldn't be more involved in the health service? What a backward step and what a backward lot. And, and Parents value the 15 hours free nursery provision that they're given. However, 22 nurseries met with me and are concerned about the new guidelines not giving enough flexibility. Will he talk to my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Education, and see if there's a problem? I, I will certainly do that. Obviously, what we've done is make sure we've properly funded the extra hours of nursery education for three-year-olds and for the first time introduced uh, that provision for disadvantaged two-year-olds. So this is a big step forward at a time of spending constraint and austerity. We've been able to help the poorest families in our country to have a better future. But I'll certainly take on board the point she makes and, and make sure she meets with my right honourable friend, the Education Secretary, to check to, to make sure this is introduced in the right way. Mr Adrian Bailey. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Secretary of State for Energy, in a newspaper interview this weekend, cast doubt on the viability of investment in the civil nuclear uh, energy industry. Given the strategic importance of this industry and the need for certainty and commitment from the government, can the Prime Minister reassure this House and business that his policy is unaltered in this area? Yes. I can do that, and the point I'd make, and the, uh, the Climate Change and Energy Secretary would say exactly the same thing, which is what we've done is create a fair playing field where this private investment can come forward. But what we shouldn't be doing is having uh, unfair subsidies. But what we're doing is making sure on the issues such as planning, on the issues such as carbon pricing, that there's a very clear situation so that nuclear, which is part of the energy mix in this country, can go on being part of the energy mix in our country. Nikki Morgan. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Last Friday I visited Rawlins Community College in my constituency and spoke to a very bright group of economic students. We discussed the fact that governments cannot spend money they do not have. Yeah. The students understood that. Why does my right honourable friend think the opposition don't understand? Lady makes a very good point. And look, I know the party opposite doesn't like to hear about the mess that they left. But let me let me give them some new published information about the mess they left. This is where we were, what we inherited. 72nd for wastefulness of government spending behind Kazakhstan and Cambodia. 108th on government debt behind Malawi, Lesotho, and yes, you guessed it, Libya. And on soundness. This is the best one on soundness of banks. 133rd, our banks under Labour were less sound than the ones in Serbia, Estonia, Madagascar and Chad. That's the record we inherited from the party opposite and we won't tire of reminding them. Yeah.